welcome to episode 50 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. I'm Kelly. Today is Friday, October 2nd, 2020. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Welcome back, Kelly. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Courtney is not here. She had to fly back east to be with her father for his final days, and hopefully she will be back for next episode, which will be our two-year anniversary. So I'm sure we're all thinking of Courtney and her family. In the meantime, I'm going to have a nice chat with Kelly. We will have On the Needles, On the Table, and On the Nightstand, which sounds like a little bit of a short episode, but oh my gosh, I've read so many books. It's really ridiculous. So... I was explaining to my friend. For the book chat, you can turn it off later. I was explaining to my friend that I was going to do this, but that I had only—it's only been a couple weeks since my last one, and that really I haven't read any. Oh, I was explaining it to you. I haven't read any books. <laughs> I don't you know have. Well, uh, sort of, but compared to you, I have not really read any books. <laughs> yes, well, I'm not trying to educate the youth of America, so. It all works out. I've read a lot of children books and lesson plans. (laughs) Very exciting, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. All right. So on the needles, I finished the socks for my husband, which was an adventure. The yarn for that is Mustache Yarns Perfect Socks Self-Striping in Hook, which was all these lovely shades of blue. So it was very fun to work on. It was almost a gradient, but they're definitely definitely stripes, but from kind of a pale blue and white mix all the way to a navy. Did I didn't finish them by his birthday because heels. <laughs> so I was trying to do them. I think I talked about this last time. I was trying to do them toe up, which I've done before for him. And that way I could make the leg part as long as I wanted without worrying about running out of yarn because I could see, you know, I'd have the foot all done and then I could turn the heel and go until I ran out basically. And I've done toe up socks before. So I usually stop three inches before I want it to be done, do a heel turn and go on from there. So I did that the first time and it turned out at least an inch too long. So I was like, huh, oh well, it was definitely too big. So I had to rip it out, which was at least a day's worth of knitting. And you know, I went back an inch more because math, right? So if I was an inch over, I'd rip back an inch, it should work out. No, it was exactly the same. Still a full inch too long. So frustrating. So I ripped it back again because I've got to make it fit and decided, fine, I'm just doing an afterthought heel, which is where you put in some waste yarn, finish knitting the sock, and then at the end you go back and put in a heel. So it wasn't ideal because I could have run out then because I didn't know how much exactly I would need for the heel. But was very frustrated, but I figured that would definitely work. And I got most of the way through that sock. And then somebody posted on my Instagram post about my sock frustration. I think it was Boston Jen. Have I tried the OMG heel by Megan Williams, which I have not. And at that point I was already too far committed to this afterthought heel on that one sock. But I looked at the pattern. She has it for toe up or cuff down. It is set up so that if you're doing a striping yarn, you don't interrupt the stripes, which is pretty awesome. But it looks like it gives you a little bit more room and would fit a little bit better than an afterthought heel. 
So I thought, all right, it's time to try it because I've heard about it for years. It's very popular heel choice, but I'd already committed to the one heel on the other sock. So I finished that one, did the second one with the OMG heel. It was pretty awesome indeed. So I was pretty excited about that. So he's two socks that are finally completed, <laughs> different heels, but I figured that was actually- Do they look the same? They look, I mean, you can tell they have different heels. Okay. Because the one of them kind of curves around and the other sort of sticks okay. out from the heel. I, I don't know exactly how to explain it for non-knitters, but there is a difference. You can tell they're different heels. Okay. But nobody's looking at heels. No. Like, well, and they're extra you know, special socks. Yeah. But he did feel that the OMG heel fit better. Ooh. So that is good for future reference. And the other one isn't awful. It works. They're beautiful hand-knit socks. So he will definitely wear them. But yeah, so that was, that was frustrating, but ultimately good. Because they did work really well with the self-striping. And you could do it either way. But it's nice not to have the stripes get all wonkadoodle and different sizes and it looks weird. So that was very exciting. That's cool. So those are done. Those are birthday socks. Um, and then I also finished my Tefenua by Francoise Denoy. These are Roy Nets. It's my giant, giant green, bright green, jade green shawl. It is a lace masterpiece. I have not done anything this fancy in a very long time. And I just blocked it, which is soaking it in water and stretching it out because lace when you knit it is garbage. <laughs> it looks awful, but yarn is amazing. And when you stretch it out, it'll kind of stay. That's the one. Yep. Yes, it's beautiful. And it had a Pico bind off, which gives little bumps at the end, at the border, which is gorgeous, but takes forever. And I ended up, I started off with about 800 yards of yarn. So 200 grams. And I had four grams left. <laughs> it was a lot of yarn. I just measured it. And the wingspan is about 80 inches. So it is really, it's big. I need someplace fancy to go so I can wear it. Like little black dress, little white dress, summer wedding would be perfect. It's Obviously not going to happen for a while, but yeah, I'm super pleased with it. I'm super pleased. So yeah, so that's the Tefenua by Francoise Denoy. And the yarn is from Lady Die Yarns. And the color is really hard to capture. I had to do filters to, to get it to look close because it's so bright mm -hmm. and not like, not like a fluorescent highlighter pen kind of bright, but just glowing, gorgeous green. So yeah, lace is amazing. I'm really glad I did that. But between that and the socks, the sock drama, that was kind of all that I really worked on for the past two weeks. Oh no, that's not true. I started a hat because I finished the socks. So then I needed something for Zoom meetings. So I started a Rika hat by Sarah Young. And this will be my August charity hat. I was also getting kind of behind on my charity knitting. So I wanted to do that. And so the yarn is from Forbidden Fiber and it's her Pride DK, which is, well, a DK, but it has sparkles. And this is from a movie yarn and bag club that I joined this year with her and Erin Lane Bags. One month you get a yarn based on a current movie that came out this year. And the next month you get a knitting bag based on that movie with little sheep on it. So this one was based on Wonder Woman 1984. It is mostly super bright pink, 
like highlighter pink with purple running through it and mm. sparkles. And it's gorgeous and I love it. Would never in a million years wear it at this point in my life. Like I can't imagine what I could make with it that I would actually wear, although I love it. So I decided that a teenage girl would probably love it <laughs> or a preteen. So that will go in my, my bag to Compassionate. The Rekka hat's really cool. It's all garter stitch. So you knit a row, a pearl row, which is super simple, but makes it look really cool. And there's no pooling. So it messes with that, which is really good. And it's going to use it most of the skein, which is also really good. So multiple bits of excitement with this really simple hat. Oh, isn't it? And we had, we had the Stanley Cup to watch as well. So I was knitting it during that because you kind of need to pay some attention when you're watching a hockey game. So that was I good. I think some and girls then, that would like that color and the sparkle since I'm surrounded yeah. with them. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm back to the final clue of the Sharon Show shawl by Casapinka with my four colors of yarn. I think I have two and a half more sections to do and then I'll be done. That one is going to be super long, but not very wide, which is good. You don't want all of your shawls to be exactly the same. So I'm very excited with that, about that. And I was, you know, sad to see it end, but it is good to move on. I get to start a sweater soon and I have a baby sweater that I need to do and all sorts of plans. It's so many things with the knitting. Lots of birthdays coming up too, I'm aware of. Yes, that too. <laughs> Some of our friends have been born in this. But I can't talk about those because one of the friends actually listens. <laughs> Not that I'm saying. No, I'm just saying that there's, there's a long list of birthdays coming up in the next two months. Yes. Yours being one of them. <laughs> oh. Are you knitting me something? I am not knitting you anything ever. <laughs> that would be silly. <laughs> but I might be I able to figure out something. <laughs> I would appreciate it though. Or macrame. Oh, we talked about macrame last time. And oh. I can report the macrame lady is at the farmer's market. And okay. I saw the Golden Gate Bridge one that she did, which I did not remember seeing last time. And it was really cool. It was really cool. I was pretty yeah. impressed with that. I think that might be an original design. I, I haven't yeah. spoken with her. She wasn't there when I went last time. I just think her booth looks, I'm going to sound old fashioned. It looks sharp. It looks good. It does. <laughs> it's a nice booth. I'm a little yeah. envious. Like the bridge is in the red and then there's the white background. And then she used some big um, like fiber, I guess, to make the fog. It was, it was really cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There. So if you're in, in the sunset on a Sunday, go check her out. I think that's all my knitting. Yeah, I'm excited about my sweater plans. We'll have to see. I've got the yarn wound up. I have the pattern. I think it'll work. We shall see. Hopefully next time I will actually be able to talk about it. I like that you post the pictures because as someone who's not a knitter, it's a great way to follow what it is that you're doing and the the true, you know, close enough to the true colors that you're working on. So. Yeah, that one was really hard to get, but yeah. The picture right before that one is also the shawl, but it's before blocking, and you can kind of see the design. Mm -hmm. but not no, you as can much. see the design really well. Yeah, well, thank you. And I think that's it for my knitting. What is on your table, Kelly? <laughs> you're going to make me say it out loud. <laughs> So I posted to Monica oh. on my table is, oh my God, there's nothing on my table. No, that's the, no, that's the easel. 
there's nothing on my table. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. You have stuff I, on your table. There's nuts in that section. Oh, on my book, my book table. That table? No. No, the table. There's nothing on the easel. There's nothing, nothing on your work. Table. Oh, my on kitchen the table. table. Is... Sorry. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, 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 Friday. I'm just your guest today. Okay. No, you're not a professional like I am. I think, I think is this is my third visit that I will be, um, I'm, I'm going to be more expecting this to come up. <laughs> well, so it's confusing. Prepared. Okay. There's nothing on my easel. Oh my gosh. I'm so sad about yeah. that, but let's move yeah, on. To the table. <laughs> so when you first asked me to come back, I was like, oh yeah, I've been cooking so much. And then I couldn't remember anything that I had cooked. I am still loving the Milk Street Tuesday Nights cookbook. And I am yeah. still wildly in love with Smitten Kitchen every day. So I'm still kind of making my way through those. Have you done the turkey burgers yet? I have not done the turkey burgers. You need to do the turkey burgers. Courtney okay, turned me on to those. We they are amazing. Okay. I actually made those recently. I'm writing it down. Yeah, they're really good. And they're, and I have made them a couple of times. Okay. I know she hasn't. Anything that I repeat is generally, well, at least my family really enjoyed it and I enjoyed it. Because so. usually turkey burgers are so dry and whatnot, but. These are not. These are not. All right, I'm delicious. on that. We just bought a bunch of turkey too. Okay. I was going to talk about that too. One of the things we've been cooking at my house is dog food. Because we got a new puppy and my husband thinks we should make our own dog food. So we bought a bunch of ground turkey and organic pumpkin. And she's loving that with some brown rice. <laughs> I bet she would. But yes, we're working on homemade dog food at my house. But on uh, our table, not in the Kong, <laughs> is... Um, so, as I mentioned, we went to Costco. And I have to say, I'm, I'm cheating, sort of. But I've been looking at the... Deb Perlman's Sizzling Beef Bulgogi Tacos since I got the Smitten Kitchen every day. I've never used gochujang. I think that's how you say it. And Is that the red sauce? It's the red sauce. And it's yeah. kind of sweet. I think I just got that. It wasn't for that recipe, but it was for something. And I was like, oh, and my family seems to enjoy it. Yeah, so I had this like list of some Asian ingredients that I've either run out of or I've needed. Since I hate going to the grocery store these days, I haven't been able to pick them up yet. But when we were at Costco, <laughs> they actually had pre-marinated short ribs oh. with the bugagi marinade with a lot of onions and it looked really good. So I kind of cheated because I brought that home for my meat. And I thought, well, I'll try it that way first. And if we love it, then I'll go buy the stuff so that I can make it on my own. So I cooked the meat from Costco, which is totally cheating. I, but it was so good. And my kids were like, we're not going to eat that. We're not going to, what is that meat stuff? We're not eating that. And then I cooked it and we made tacos with it. And they were so amazingly tasty that everybody is sold. And so now I'm going to go and pick up some. Gochujang, and I need to um, refill some of my other sesame oil and uh, Asian ingredients. Because the other thing we have is we have puppy class on Thursday nights at 7.30, and it's everyone just gets home from wherever they were. We've got to like rush around and eat. 
squeeze in a little bit of homework and then do this online puppy class. And so I've been trying to choose recipes from the fastest section in the Milk Street cookbook. And a lot of it is spaghetti with simple sauces, but just really delicious. So the one thing I made was the cacio de pepe. I don't know if that's cacio is correct, but it's like spaghetti with a pepper with pepper and olive oil and some um, pecorino romano cheese. And my husband brought, brought an entire pecorino romano about a year ago. And it's, you know, the whole thing. It's been in the fridge for a year. It's fine. <laughs> but it was like the last chunk of it grated up and threw it in there. And it was, it was just simple and delicious pasta. Pasta is delicious. Yeah, some of those Italian totally simple recipes are just, they're so amazing. I do one with like garlic and olive oil and thyme. Mm, that sounds so good. good. Yeah, like lots of garlic, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I smell the garlic on my hands. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I made pasta last night. So we had the tacos, we had this pepper pasta. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was from the Milk Street cookbook. As we've been in this pandemic, we have an extra freezer. And I really wanted to clean out the freezer and make sure we used everything that had been sitting in there for some time before I had to throw it out because it had been there too long. And I had some pork tenderloin. So I pulled that out and was searching for a recipe. And I found the pork schnitzel recipe in the Milk Street cookbook, which I thought would be good, but I didn't think it would be as great as it was. And it was so delicious. And my whole family loved it. We had it for two nights because when you go to Costco, you get a double tenderloin in your package. So I had a lot of tenderloin. It was just so tender and it was so good. And my husband made his on a salad and the rest of us made sandwiches with it with just really good crusty bread. We used arugula and it was, it was just simple and delicious. So I'm loving both of these cookbooks because there's a lot of simple and delicious in there. And when you work all day and you take care of kids and pet, it's really nice to do simple and delicious. That, so is, that is very good. Even if you don't work all day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be doing something on my Simple and delicious. There's a website called Eat Your Books, which sounds really weird, but they, they index cookbooks. Uh-huh. So you can sit on your bookshelf with all your cookbooks. And then if you want to cook with, pork tenderloin you type in pork tenderloin and it gives you all the recipes from your cookbooks oh, it won't give you the recipes it's just this book has this recipe which is really handy if you have a lot of cookbooks <laughs> or you're trying to you know think of something new to do to get out of a cooking rut and i think it costs a little bit of money for a yearly subscription but not that much but i've really found it useful for trying to to get new ideas on what i want to cook that would be really cool. Yeah. So that, that link will be in the show notes. What's on your table? Well, I did the turkey burgers, which were delicious, and served those with sweet potato fries, which I'm very proud I actually made myself, because sometimes I'm just like, Ugh, I can't do it. I'm getting the frozen fries, because there's a lot of them that are gluten-free and, and delicious. I was like, no, I can do this. I can cut up a potato. I, I, I have that power. So that was good. And everyone seemed into that. And the turkey burgers you can make ahead of time. They actually want you to have them sit in the fridge for at least 15 minutes. Okay. So I'm sure you could do it earlier even. Then, yeah, I've been in a little bit of a rut. So I, I pulled out my cookbook roulette you helped with. So this is something I used to do it a lot. 
And I hadn't done it in a while, but this is when I get bored and I, I can't think what I want to do. So I either post on Facebook or text my friends and say, hey, I need three numbers. The first one is between, now it's like one and four. It used to be one and 10 because I had more bookshelves. And so that's the bookshelf. And then another number is the number of books on that shelf. And that gives you the book. And then the last number is the number of pages. And that gives you a page. And the idea is that then I will cook that recipe that week. Sometimes it doesn't exactly work out. I think the number, the page that I ended up with was like the dessert page. <laughs> so, which sometimes I'll do, but I really needed like, what am I going to make for dinner? And I think that the, like I went one page back and it was something with like meat and gluten. And there was no way that that was, that I could revamp it, but it was the Smitten Kitchen Cookbook. So I said, ah, I'm going to go through and like flip back a few more pages and found the kale and sausage saute. Mm, always so good. Which is so good. And I had made it before. I was like, oh yeah, this is good. And I can, so it did take a lot of revamping because there is also croutons in it. So meat and gluten, <laughs> but I used veggie sausage, which actually my whole family will eat without complaint. So that's good. Kale's no problem. White beans, no problem. And I think I actually had some white beans from that week. So that was great. And then instead of the bread, I could have used gluten-free bread, but I didn't feel like it. So I used a potato and mm. kind of cut it up pretty small, sauteed it a little bit beforehand, and it ended up worked fine. I think I needed to make more because we went through it quite quickly and I had already increased it a decent amount. So if it's something the whole family is going to eat, then sometimes doubling isn't enough. I was going to say, do you have that problem? Because the other night I didn't eat dinner because I didn't make enough for everybody. And I thought I didn't really need it anyway. So I was fine to skip it, but it, it happens like once a week where I just haven't made enough. So are you doubling things a lot? Pretty much generally I will double it. There have been a couple of things. Smitten Kitchen, I think I always have to double. Okay. I have to really pay attention to what I think is going to work. And if it looks at all dicey, then I will double it or at least 50% it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One and a half. There are some recipes where it says four and it will actually feed my four people. But I think having teenage athletes in the house, kind of, they don't count as one person from a no. cookbook standpoint. So yeah, I have gotten better about just doubling. I made pasta carbonara last night, spaghetti carbonara, and I think I made it for 12. Because <laughs> I think we'll be eating it. We have a guest staying with us for four days. So we have an extra teenage athlete in the house. So I think I, I definitely had enough yeah. for last night, but we will be eating that all weekend. That's not a bad thing. No, it was really good. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah, so that was fun. I hadn't done that in a while. It worked out quite well. Oh, and the other one. So another friend just didn't do the roulette thing. She's like, here's some recipe suggestions, <laughs> which is fine. I think she did a number as well, but she also was like, and here's some suggestions. And one of them was an Asian grilled salmon recipe from Ina Garden. Mm -hmm. um, and I made it the other night and it was in fact delicious. Ooh. My kids are cranky when I do salmon, but they were pretty happy with this one. It has a mustard and soy sauce mm. mixture and there's some other things in there. And then... It's meant to be grilled. Um, you kind of marinate it in the sauce and then grill it and then put the, some more marinade on to finish it. I don't have a grill and it's also 
nasty weather, smoky weather out. So that wasn't going to happen anyway. So I just put it in the oven and baked it and then did some broiling at the end to get that nice, you know, crispy coating. And it was really, really tasty, I got to say. So that one definitely will probably be on, on repeat at some point in the future. I've been continuing with my beans. Wednesday seems to be bean cooking day. I put them to soak in the morning and then we'll cook them starting around three and mix them with something that night. And then they're available for more use the rest of the week. This week we had black beans and I think, and I don't speak Spanish, so I apologize for totally butchering this, but ayacote negro beans. I got them from Rancho Gordo. I don't know that he grows them. I think he gets them from Mexico. but they're an heirloom Mexican bean. They are so good. They're huge and so flavorful, really delicious. This is the second time we've had them and I really like them. So I mixed them into a salad from the Start Simple cookbook, mm-hmm. which I'm really enjoying. As much as I don't buy 10 ingredients and then just cook on the fly, they are really easy recipes. And I do find that often I can go in there and kind of if I don't have maybe all of the ingredients, they do give me enough inspiration for maybe a lunch where I can mix something up, some different ideas about flavors. But this one was with tomatoes and avocado and spinach and in kind of a lime dressing with, I think he suggested feta, but I had the cotija. I never know how to say that cheese. The Mexican yes, hard white fluffy cheese. <laughs> and it was delicious. And I ended up making some chorizo or fake chorizo quesadillas to go with that as well to give it a little more a little more heft for the children but yes it was a really nice meal you know I mean cooking the beans does take a little while but it's pretty much hands-off cooking and I've got a system down so that was really good I was pleased with that one that sounds good I reheated some soup or stew that I made with white beans like earlier this year because we had some cold days this week. And um, oh, it was so good. I love that soups and stews freeze so well and you can reheat them and they almost taste better. Just have to remember they're in there. That's always my problem. <laughs> I just have to remember to reheat them before it's been too long. But yeah, that's I have, great. Yeah, I have a good three containers of soups that need to get cooked up. Oh, and I make Courtney's cookie bars, the uh, toffee cookie bars again. Mm-hmm. And I think I have found my perfect size because the recipe calls for making a 13 by 10 square which seems a little thin to me she does it in an 8 by 8 pan which makes the cookie base too thick for me so i have gone goldilocks and i find that an 11 by 7 pan is perfect (laughs) a nice ratio of cookie to chocolate coating i had some leftover uh, heath bar bits from my better than everything cake from last time so I threw those on top instead of regular nuts. Yeah, it's totally dangerous and addictive. Every time somebody walked in the kitchen, they were like, oh, I'll just have a little bite. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what, that's what two sticks of butter will do for you. Mm-hmm. But that was delicious. And I'm very excited that I have found the proper size to make it. So it's good, good mileage may vary. Yeah. It's good to All have right. a variety in the kitchen. <laughs> All right. On the nightstand, I see some books in your list. There, there are a few. <laughs> and I think that you recommended at least two out of my three. So I actually have only been listening to books. I don't know why. I can't pick up a book and read. But anyways, I'm listening to... It does the same thing in your brain. 
That's what you told me. So you validated me and I'm continuing with it. Yep. So I read the, or listened to the Dutch house, which I had heard about from you. I had heard about it on Facebook from other friends and I thought it was an all right story. I did like did Tom you, listening. Did I like listen to the last episode. Yep. No, no, I have not. Okay. So that. you haven't heard my review of it. No. <laughs> I know you said to me that you thought it was really sad. And I think I had gotten to the parts that were pretty sad. But there was something, I mean, I really enjoyed the relationship between the brother and the sister, having a brother, but in different order. He'd be more the older, wise one, myself, the younger. I liked how they really stuck it out. And she really stayed by his side and was a good parent for him, even though there was some crazy stuff that happened in the story. But pretty much I liked that story. It was, it was good. I thought it was a really well-written book. It got less sad, I think, as it went on. Mm-hmm. Still a lot of drama. My, my main issue was that I didn't like the narrator. I thought he was boring. And I wanted to hear more about his sister and uh-huh, uh-huh. his mom and his wife. And <laughs> like it was all the women I found really interesting and that we never really got to know them. So I found it a little... That, that part I found disappointing. I wonder but, if that's uh, why she had a male narrator. Maybe, yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was an interesting choice. And I like listening to Tom Hanks, but I was kind of like, eh, you're a dude. Like, you're not... <laughs> <laughs> Never as interesting. You're not, not doing it for me. So, yeah. So, yeah. It, kinda, it, it was kind of slow, but I thought it was visually appealing yeah. in my head. I was picturing all these things, and I thought there was a good development of what the house was like and, and, and the people that were in it and her red coat and just certain things stuck out in my head that I could picture throughout the story. And I liked that part about it. Yeah, no, there were a lot of good things about it. But. Yeah, definitely well-written. And then I didn't know that I got this from you, but I must've heard you talk about City of Girls on our last meeting and it was mm, available. I read that, I feel like last summer or whenever oh. it came. That was a while ago, but yeah, but it could have been me. I sort of choose my books as what is available right now in Libby <laughs> and it popped up and, and I read. Which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I loved the first half of it. I loved it. I thought it was so interesting hearing about life and the theater in the forties and fifties yeah. and leaving home and being young and being in New York and just going for it and not having really anybody to supervise her. And she sort of took her own path and, lived recklessly but it all worked out but really I thought the book was going to end when she went home and then I looked at the chapters and I was like 10 more chapters what what on earth could they be about (laughs) I have to say the second half of the book I thought was a little boring that happens yeah and I stuck with it but I wasn't (laughs) wasn't very excited about the rest of her life which is kind of sad and I liked that she was a strong female character and there were other strong female characters. And yeah, I didn't really care about the rest of the book or the people that were in it. <laughs> Aunt Peg was great. At least half of it was good. It was. It was halfway good. I would have liked more on that half. That was exciting. Maybe. Yeah, I think the drive home see. with her brother and the other gentleman kind of killed it. And I was like, oh, I'm What's done. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. So I, I just finished that. And then um, I started The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. And I can't remember I where, I, 
I, I, it was Man recommended to me on some website that sends me books I might like. I don't know how they knew about me, but <laughs> anyways, I, sometimes they're good. And it's reminding me of the book women books, kind of strong women with unstable men going out into the wild and having to really kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps, so to speak, to survive. The main character is a young, or the narrator and the main character is a 13-year-old girl, and her family has just inherited some property in Alaska, and they've moved around a lot. She's always the new girl at school, and they've just moved up to a pretty dilapidated cabin in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. I like the main character so far. Time frame. Oh, it is just after Vietnam. The dad was oh. in Vietnam, and he's not doing so well now that he's back. And so this is what he thinks is going to be great. But I think that's kind of a theme in their past is, oh, if we just move here, it'll be great. If we just move here, it'll be great. And already they've only been there for a short time. And you can see that it may not be great for dad. But I'm curious to see what happens with the mom, who seems like a very slight woman and not prepared for what's to come. And then the daughter, who seems like she'll be able to make it happen. So anyways, I'm excited about it. Yeah, that sounds interesting. There's a fairly new podcast that I've been listening to called Strong Sense of Place. And each episode, they pick a place and review five books that really they feel kind of encapsulate that place. And one of the recent episodes they just did was Alaska. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, um, I don't know if that was one of them, but there was that a lot of that same themes of, you know, someone moving to Alaska for some, some reason, you know, to get away from it all and do their thing and lots of struggle. The yeah. Winter is kind of it's winter is coming is the theme. And it's kind of like, oh, the summer is short and you have a little bit of time left to get ready. So one thing that's really nice is like the whole community has come together to help. But I, even though it's a very small community, there's definitely a split within the community of people's thoughts and opinions about things and money and haves and have nots. And, but it's very much like, we don't want to see you die. So we're going to come and help you, you know, dig this out and build that structure and give you some dried meats and teach you how to shoot things. Cause you're going to die in a couple months. <laughs> if we don't come and help you. Of all their books. <laughs> you gotta go hunt the moose or you're going to die. Yeah. But I, I like that it's from the perspective of a 13 year old girl. Yeah. Who's well-read and loves Tolkien. Oh, interesting. That's come up a couple times. Lord of the Rings. You like that book too? I mean, you got all winter, so you could read the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Multiple yep. times, I think. I Oh, can I just say a little note on a book? I met a girl that I'm, that goes to our school and I, you know, I said, you know, what do you like to read? She's a new student to our school. So I was trying to find out what kind of a reader she was. And she's like, well, we don't have a lot of books, but over the summer I read every book on our bookshelf. She's like, I read the board books. I read the adult book. I read every book we had. And I was like, do you know that there's a digital library out there that you can access? <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm going to tell my dad. I'm like, yeah, find out if you have a library card. I was like, this girl is thirsty for reading. And I just want to make sure that she's connected because we, you know, yeah. I know you can go to the library and get some books, but it's not all the libraries right now. And I hear it's a long turnaround to get the books that you request, or at least some of them. Yeah, it hasn't been too bad. I mean, I guess if it's going to be something that just came out and is super popular, then it would. They're 
they quarantine the books, I think, for like three days on, on either end. Mm-hmm. Our school librarian has had trouble getting what she's looking for. So that, that was her perception of it. Ebooks are definitely the way to go, I think. If you Yeah. And this girl, I, mean, I could tell. I mean, she read the highest book that I had to give her and was, was hungry for more. That's cool. Something. Trying to figure out how to get books in those kids' hands for those kids whose parents can't get them books. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you can sign up for a library card online. I think they've been doing that as well. Just to yeah, make yeah. Sure it's people... all there. It's just a matter of making sure she gets those connections. Yeah. But it was, it cool. was fun to hear some, you know, what is she? She's a third grader. Just like, I read oh, everything wow. that we had in the house. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, she needs, she needs library access. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So I've been actually listening to a lot of books as well. I was on that for a while and then I was off it and now I'm kind of back into it. I've been getting some good recommendations from my various podcasty people. So the first one I listened to was Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson, which is if you've heard anything about it, it's the exploding children one. So I had heard about it and I was like, yeah, I don't know. It sounds weird. I don't think I'm going to bother. And then I went a knitting and book review podcaster the two knitlet chicks reviewed it and said it was really great in the audio. So I said, nah, all right, I'll try it. Cause I have gone through all of my podcasts for the most part. And it was really good. It was kind of short, super fun. The narrator did a good job. So Lillian and Madison were friends in high school at like a fancy pants girls boarding school. Um, Lillian gets kicked out freshman year, but they continue writing to each other and think of each other as friends. Madison ends up marrying a U.S. senator, and it's about 10 years. They're about, I guess they're in their late 20s now, um, and she writes to Lillian and says, hey, can you come visit? I have something I need you to help me with. Possible job opportunity. Here's some bus fare. Turns out Madison's husband has two children from a previous marriage, 10-year-old twins. Their mom has just died, and so he now has to take care of them. Poor guy. He is not the best father, as you might suspect. The problem with the kids is that if they get too emotional, they spontaneously combust and burst into flames. It doesn't hurt them. They're fine. But it's a little freaky to see, and things can catch on fire. So the dad is being vetted to be Secretary of State, and having flaming children could hold back that process. So they would like Lillian to be the nanny for the kids just for the summer until he's all vetted and it's good and they can get back to their regular lives. So that's what happens. So it's kind of the story of her and the kids and what's going on in this family relationship. And it was really good. I ended up really enjoying it. It wasn't too, too long. And it was funny and touching and sad and happy and, you know, all the, all the feels. So, (laughs) and bizarre. (laughs) The whole fire thing is just weird, but she learns to deal with it. So yeah, so that was Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. And I forget who the narrator was. She did, she did a good job, I thought. Then I read House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. This is uh, about Linus Baker, who is a school slash, slash orphanage inspector for the schools that are looking after magical children. He's been doing this job for 17 years. He's kind of a boring guy, kind of not a great job, but he does really care about the children, which it seems like most of the bureaucracy around him does not 
actually care. So he gets a call to go upstairs to see the extremely upper management. And they tell him he needs to go visit this super special school that's out on an island and see what's going on. So these are the extra special magical kids that they're worried about. Mm. Uh, so he goes out there, shenanigans ensue. Again, people not taking care of children properly. So <laughs> much can happen. <laughs> he meets the children, starts interacting with them, you know, respect differences. It's a nice, very timely kind of book, but making oh. it magic kind of makes it, um, I don't know, easier to digest, I guess. So that one, that one I really liked. It was sweet. That is House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. And then I read Renia's Diary. This was an actual book that I got from the actual library, so that was exciting. <laughs> uh, it is not, not a cheery read, a Holocaust diary. She was about 14 when she started writing it in February of 1939. And she lived in, Pol or lived in Poland. And it ends in, I think, July of 42, when she is murdered by the Gestapo. But it, it's basically her teenage diary. And the part of Poland that she was in was taken over by the Russians. And I think, and I know I always forget that Russia and Germany were not fighting each other for the first several years of World War II. They basically said, we'll just divide up Poland and then, you know, leave each other alone. The problem was the river, the dividing line ran through her town and she was staying with her grandparents. She and her younger sister were staying with her grandparents on the, what ended up being the Russian side while her mom was in Warsaw on the German side. So they, they couldn't see, they couldn't get back together with her mom for the whole war. It was interesting, but also frustrating read. It was amazing how little she actually mentions what's going on in the world. Like 90% of it is complaining about her friends and stressing about, does this guy like me? I mean, it's totally a teenage book. And then every once in a while, she'll mention, like, when the war actually starts. She does talk about that for a few episodes, but a few episodes, a few entries. But there's not a lot about it. And I didn't realize until the end that there were some footnotes or endnotes from her sister kind of explaining the actual historic context of what's happening or what her sister knew about later, like what their mom was up to that would have made it a lot more interesting. Mm -hmm. So as a historical document, it's fascinating. As an actual read, it's not terribly interesting. I mean, I can only hear so many times about, like, I wouldn't want to go back and read my teenage diary. Because no. it really, like, it's boring. Like, you know, you can only hear so many times, oh my gosh, does he like me? Oh, I think he likes me. Oh no, he's being mean to me, uh, you know. And actually, the stuff from after this her boyfriend was amazing he tried to hide her and his parents and was trying to get them work visas and ended up keeping her diary for like 20 years and i think he survived one of the death camps i mean he was an amazing guy which doesn't come across in her writings at all because she was 17. so i'm kind of up in the air about whether or not i recommend that one it's I feel like more of a, a research kind of book than, mm -hmm. than a, something you would just read for fun. <laughs> it's definitely not a fun read, but, but interesting. Continuing on my nonfiction kick, which I don't usually do. Uh, and this was an audiobook as well, Mind and Matter by John Urschel and Louisa Thomas. 
and this is a memoir about football and math. And I don't really like in either of those, any of those three things, but I really enjoyed this. I'm not sure why I picked it up. It was on the library recommended list for the month. And I don't know, something just was calling me to this um, and it ended up being really interesting. He didn't read it, but the, the person that did, did a really good job. Uh, John Urschel played football at Penn State and then for the Baltimore Ravens for three years. At the same time, he was getting his math undergrad and master's and then started on his PhD at MIT. So two crazy hard careers that most people can't do one of, and he's doing two. So it was really interesting. He did a good job of making the math kind of comprehensible. <laughs> like, I did okay in math. I don't love it. And I definitely don't understand higher math. But he did a pretty good job of like explaining kind of what he was working on and giving you enough of an idea so that you could get what he was doing and what he was trying to accomplish. And the football, he does has a couple of big games, but it's not a lot of football talk. And he didn't start playing until ninth grade, so the beginning of high school. So there, it's a lot more about what he had to do to get to the point where he could be an NFL player, because that's really hard. Mm-hmm. And he's big, I guess he's a big guy for normal people, but not for a, a professional football player. So that all was kind of interesting. Um, and there was a really cute story where he was taking some engineering camp, but he was bored because they were basically doing like bottle rockets. He's like, that's not really engineering. I need to do something more. So his dad was working on an advanced degree at local college and said, well, we have the same name. Use my student ID, sign up for a college math class. He's like, okay. So he took calculus the summer before high school. And the cute part was he was like, I really think that I did great because nobody told me it was supposed to be hard. I just thought it was fun. And I think if you told most 13 year olds, oh, you'd be great at calculus. Don't worry about it. Like, don't tell them it's hard. They'll love it. I'm like, "Mm, I don't think that's true. But I totally love that you think it's true. Like his love of math and just this pure way was really cool to hear about. That was Mind and Matter. Mind and Matter by John Urschel and Louisa Thomas. He didn't really talk about that in the book, but that's his wife. And they met while she was interviewing him for I forget what she worked for. She worked for like the New Yorker or some, some newspaper, I think. And then they got married and wrote a book. So that was nice too. It worked out well. He wanted to write this because, and he did a lot of this in college too, because the whole idea of a student athlete, everyone's like, yeah, they're not really students. The right. same thing, the idea that you could be a professional football player or any kind of professional sports, I think, and also be a math genius is like, people have a real hard time with that. I definitely think that's true, but it's also like they're both really intense careers. They're really hard for anybody, let alone doing two of them. So, so that was interesting to see how he could do that. And then Library of the Unwritten by A.J. Hackwit. This is about Claire, who is the librarian of the Unwritten Library, which is where all of the unwritten books go. And it is in a wing of hell. The books are kind of upset because they were never finished or never even written at all. Like if their author was a you know, housewife in the 40s, chances are she never got a chance to write her book. So that's where they all go. Um, the books occasionally get upset and want to be written and they manifest as their lead character and try to escape. And so her job is to make sure that they don't escape. <laughs> so this happens 
she realizes the book is in Seattle and she does kind of an Avengers assemble, gets her crew together and they go off to Seattle. They're confronted by an angel who is looking for a different book, but thinks it's the same book. Shenanigans ensue. I really like this book. It was super fun and not expected. There's a lot of adventures. There's a lot of good versus evil thought. Like Claire is a lovely person, but I mean, she is in hell. Like she, <laughs> she did some bad stuff and we never really find out what it was. And there's a lot about forgiveness. There's a lot of witty banter. They go to Valhalla and some Egyptian underworlds. I thought it was, you know, a pretty imaginative book with some, some nice themes and I give that one two thumbs up. That was Library of the Unwritten by A.J. Hackwith. And also, I mean, it's got a library and librarians as the heroine. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to love well, that. <laughs> yeah. And then A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martin. And this won the Hugo for Best Novel, I think, last year. Maybe this year. That was why I picked it up. Gosh, space. But it's not really spacey. It's kind of a political thriller. So Mahit Zamar is the new ambassador from the LaSalle station, which is a, an independent, it's not a planet, it's a, like a manufactured planet. And she is the ambassador to takes Kalan, which is the empire. They're not part of the empire, but they interact with them. And the former ambassador, they don't know what's happened to him, but they have gotten a message saying, hey, you need to send a new ambassador really fast. So she is sent there and... Her people have a system of embedding the memories of your predecessor so that the institutional knowledge is not lost, but something goes wrong and her memory system is not working. It works for a little bit when she arrives and then it goes kerfluis. And the previous ambassador is dead. And it seems like he's been murdered, but everyone's pretending he wasn't. So there's all this political trade going on possible revolution and all this stuff. I really like this one as well. I mean, it's basically a political thriller. It just happens to take place in space. She did a really good job of creating these two, at least, you know, two plus societies, the Empire and the LaSalle Station. And the, the idea of, you know, really loving a foreign culture, but going there and you know you're not going to be part of it and still wanting to respect your own heritage. So there was a lot of interesting stuff. And, and you get to the end and she talks a little bit about when she started thinking about it. And apparently she was doing research on modern Eastern Armenian and that inspired the whole thing. So she came up with, you know, at least in her head, kind of two different languages and what they were based on and how that like there's a pronunciation guide in the back. So she did a lot of, a lot of thinking about these, these worlds and, and all the adventure. I, like, I had no idea where it was going, which... <laughs> I think is, is kind of a good thing. It's like, I don't know where, where this is going to take me, but I'm along for the ride. And apparently it is the first of, I don't know if it's a series or, or a trilogy or what, but um, there is at least an, a second book planned. That was going to be my question. It sounds like there's enough thought put through the beginning of it and languages and c- communities or yeah. that. But um, it doesn't read like, the first book, I mean, when you get to the end, you're like, yeah, you could put a second book here, but it, it feels very self-contained, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. I don't, I don't want to feel like you're just setting me up for book two. Right, right, right. I want it to feel like its own thing. And it definitely did. 
yeah, when her memory system goes haywire, I was like, oh no, <laughs> like it was so far in and you hadn't even really gotten to know the characters, but you felt, you felt the loss. Like she kind of had this voice, it was this constant companion and he was giving her all this advice and she's really upset and you can feel her fear and sadness and all the, all, you know, all the feels that she's feeling. So there was, there was a lot of things that I really enjoyed about this book. And then last night, I just finished Pull of the Stars by Emma Donahue. She wrote Room, which I actually haven't read, although I've read some of her other books. I don't know if this was a good choice for during right now. It uh, takes place in early November of 1918 in Dublin. So we have World War I going on and a pandemic. They're the 1918 pandemic, and she's a nurse in a hospital in the maternity ward. But oh. special maternity ward for the pregnant women that have the flu. Oh. So it's like three days out of her life. It's a mess, obviously. It's a pandemic. And it's it's not even like the worst part of the pandemic, I think. I think it's just getting bad. It's just getting to the point where doctors and nurses and all the medical staff are going out. They've just stopped delivering mail because there aren't enough mail characters. It's clearly going to get worse. But, you know, the war is going to end soon. They just don't know that. So they've been at war. And it's Dublin. So two years ago, they had the uprising. And so there's a lot of... There's political stuff, but mostly it's focused on like her patients. You're squeamish about the birthing process. Do not read this book. <laughs> it was drama, <laughs> very detailed drama. Lots of sadness, but some joy. And I stayed up till midnight, two nights in a row reading this. So mm -hmm. she is a great writer. That is all my books. I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive. It was, I was working at it. I was working at it. And I think with the audiobooks, then folding laundry or something, and I've got a, you know, or making dinner and I'm listening to another book. So that definitely ups my, my reading capacity. Yeah. But we yeah. got a rowing machine for my daughter who's a rower and she's not rowing. So I decided I would row because we bought that thing. And it's actually yeah. the best. I love it. It's smooth and easy on the body and it's a great place to listen to books. Yeah, it seems like it'd be super meditative. Once mm -hmm. It is. You kind of zone out and I have it facing the outdoors. So I just kind of look off and listen and you can easily go to where your book is and be there rather than yeah. working out. Cool. All right. I think that's it for now. Next episode will be our second anniversary, which is so exciting. And also we are now at 16,000 total downloads. Woohoo! So I think it's a big number. I'm pretty excited. So thank you, everyone. And thank you, Kelly, for joining me again. My pleasure. And until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Bye, everybody. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.